Good day, friends and fellow pilgrims on the road of life. Today is June 9th. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. My name is David McAdam, and I'm so grateful to know that there's a solid reason for the hope that we have. That hope is anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Through him and what he accomplished, there is a sure way for guilty sinners to find peace with God. He's accomplished this work for all who believe on him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, securing a way to provide for our sins atonement. In Christ you will find the embodiment of truth, the reality that will make you free. In him you will find there is a life that is full, redemptive, meaningful, abundant, and eternal. I am grateful that Christ has made a way for us to know God personally and that on the merits of his name we have the privilege of access to God as our Father to make our requests known to him in prayer. We are in the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament and the book of Acts in the New Testament in our one-year Bible tour. I am particularly fond of the book of Acts as it describes the impact of the Holy Spirit's indwelling the New Testament believers, and using them as members of the body of Christ to bring the gospel and the influence of God's kingdom to every people group in every nation. We thank God for the ministry of Christ's life in each local church and the unity of believers in local churches worldwide. I would like to ask each of you listening, wherever you are, to find a community that's alive to the Lordship of Christ that you can relate to as your nearby spiritual family where you can be spiritually nourished through the preaching of the Word of God, a community where you can benefit from mutual counsel, edification, worship, and where you can do your part towards the goal of fulfilling the Great Commission of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded us. Each healthy local church should be a new life community or a community of new life, a place where we can be equipped as disciple-making missionaries. Well, in today's reading, in the Old Testament, Solomon, the son of David, will start building his famous temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, the greater son of David, Jesus Christ, is building the Spirit's temple, the church. And we are going to see a lot of local churches planted as the apostles, now filled with the Spirit, become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We will start with the Temple of Solomon first, and then we'll go to the Temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. 1 Kings chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David my father, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set, for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. 
As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message that you have sent to me. I am ready to do all your desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct, and I will have them broken up there, and you shall receive it, and you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household. So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired, while Solomon gave Hiram twenty thousand cores of wheat as food for his household, and twenty thousand cores of beaten oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of all Israel, and the draft numbered thirty thousand men. And he sent them to Lebanon, ten thousand a month in shifts. They would be a month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the draft. Solomon also had 70,000 burden-bearers and 80,000 stone-cutters in the hill country, besides Solomon's 3,300 chief officers who were over the work, who had charge of the people who carried on the work. At the king's command they quarried out great costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the men of Gebel did the cutting and prepared the timber and the stone to build the house. Chapter 6. Solomon Builds the Temple In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. The house that King Solomon built for the Lord was sixty cubits long, twenty cubits wide, and thirty cubits high. The vestibule in front of the nave of the house was twenty cubits long, equal to the width of the house, and ten cubits deep in front of the house. And he made for the house windows with recessed frames. He also built a structure against the wall of the house, running around the walls of the house, both the nave and the inner sanctuary. And he made side chambers all around. The lowest story was five cubits broad, the middle one was six cubits broad, and the third was seven cubits broad. For around the outside of the house he made offsets on the wall in order that the supporting beams should not be inserted into the walls of the house. When the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry, so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. The entrance for the lowest story was on the south side of the house, and one went up by stairs to the middle story, and from the middle story to the third. So he built the house and finished it, and he made the ceiling of the house of beams and planks of cedar. He built the structure against the whole house, five cubits high, and it was joined to the house with timbers of cedar. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, Concerning this house that you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. 
so Solomon built the house and finished it. He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar. From the floor of the house to the walls of the ceiling, he covered them on the inside with wood, and he covered the floor of the house with boards of cypress. He built twenty cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls, and he built this within as an inner sanctuary, as the most holy place. The house, that is, the nave in front of the inner sanctuary, was forty cubits long. The cedar within the house was carved in the form of gourds and open flowers. All was cedar, no stone was seen. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house, to set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was twenty cubits long, twenty cubits wide, and twenty cubits high, and he overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid an altar of cedar. And Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold, and he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. And he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. Also the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary he overlaid with gold. In the inner sanctuary he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. Five cubits was the length of one wing of the cherub, and five cubits the length of the other wing of the cherub. It was ten cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. The other cherub also measured ten cubits. Both cherubim had the same measure and the same form. The height of one cherub was ten cubits, and so that of the other cherub. He put the cherubim in the innermost part of the house, and the wings of the cherubim were spread out, so that a wing of one touched the one wall, and a wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. Their other wings touched each other in the middle of the house, and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Around all the walls of the house he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. The floor of the house he overlaid with gold in the inner and outer rooms. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and the doorposts were five-sided. He covered the two doors of olive wood with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid them with gold and spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So also he made for the entrance to the nave doorposts of olive wood, in the form of a square, and two doors of cypress wood. The two leaves of the one door were folding, and the two leaves of the other door were folding. On them he carved cherubim and palm trees and open flowers, and he overlaid them with gold evenly applied on the carved work. He built the inner court with three courses of cut stone and one course of cedar beams. In the fourth year the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, and in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its parts and according to all its specifications. He was seven years in building it. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament portion from First Kings. As is our custom, we will take a few moments to recap and reflect upon what we have just observed. In chapters 3 and 4, we learned of the events that took place in the first three years of Solomon's reign before he began to build the temple. 
Solomon is mentioned nearly 300 times in the Old Testament and 12 times in the New Testament. He is both wise and foolish. He was gifted by God with wisdom for getting things done and resolving disputes with keen insight. Yet he used people to support his extravagant lifestyle. When he died, people begged his successor, Rehoboam, to lighten the heavy yoke Solomon had put upon their necks. He is wise in areas of politics and commerce, but he is foolish in his disregard of God's laws that clearly forbade a king from multiplying wives. The law also forbade multiplying horses. Solomon was an accomplished horse trader in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 14 through 17 and 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 26 and 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verses 14 through 17. And we can also see in Psalm 20 verse 7 that Solomon's lifestyle was full of contradictions. He is known to have relied too heavily on his own authority, possessions, and accomplishments rather than God's. As we learned yesterday, Solomon was a prolific author of songs, or psalms, but we only have three of the 3,000 he reportedly wrote in Holy Scripture, Psalm 72, Psalm 127, and the Song of Solomon. Solomon is better known for his Proverbs and his assessment of the natural man's life, that is, the book of Ecclesiastes. David had moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but the altar of sacrifices was still at Gibeon, one of the Canaanite high places that the Israelites were told to destroy. The tabernacle was temporarily located at Gibeon, and Solomon dedicates himself to Yahweh there with 1,000 burnt offerings as a sign of total consecration. It is recorded in Scripture that God spoke to Solomon on four occasions. First, in the dream at Gibeon, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 10-15. through 15. Secondly, during the building of the temple, in chapter 6, verses 11-13. through 13. Number 3, after the completion of the building projects, in chapter 9, verses 3-9. through 9. And fourthly, when Solomon disobeyed God's word and turned to idolatry, in chapter 11, verses 9-13. through 13. Notice that the Lord stressed in His first three messages to Solomon the importance of obedience. In the fourth message, Solomon is rebuked and chastised for his disobedience. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and will give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9-13 through 13. It was King David's desire to build a dwelling place for God in Jerusalem. We read about this in Psalm 132, verses 3-5, to 5, and Psalm 27, verse 4. But God knew that David was so busy fighting wars and defending Israel that he did not have time to devote himself to that project. In the Davidic covenant, God promises that a descendant will build what David is desiring in his heart. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12-13 through 13. The temple that Solomon will build is a placeholder for that which will be accomplished through the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ. Solomon is now ready to build. He wants worthy materials, such as the cedars and cypress of Lebanon, known to be the best, most sturdy, tight-grained, rot-resistant hardwood for building. King Hiram of Tyre rejoices when he learns of Solomon's request for building material. He gladly ships logs, timbered by the Sidonians, tying them to rafts to be floated from the Mediterranean sea coast to a port in Israel, where it will be transported overland to Jerusalem. Solomon, in turn, rewards Hiram with an annual provision of food for his household and one large payment to the workers for their labor. Now behold, I will give to your servants, the woodsmen who cut the timber, twenty thousand cores of crushed wheat and twenty thousand cores of barley and twenty thousand baths of wine and twenty thousand baths of oil. Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 10. The two kings make a peace treaty. Solomon then organizes his workforce in 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and appoints Adoniram as their supervisor. The structure is approximately 90 feet long and 30 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. A 35-foot wide porch, 15 feet deep, stood at the front of the temple. It is interesting to note that the stones were quarried and chiseled miles away from the temple site. The house, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared at the quarry, and there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. This reminds us that as Jesus is building his church, preparing living stones, much of what he is doing is internal, hidden, and unsounded. He's doing an underground work. But what a magnificent temple he is building for his presence and kingdom reign to be displayed. God took two of David's most notorious sins, his adultery with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and his prideful census-taking in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and by means of these events brought about the birth of Solomon and the purchasing of the temple mount, that is the threshing floor of Arauna. Now Solomon is building the land purchased by the repentant sinner. What a picture of God's grace! Now let's go to the New Testament where we're reading from the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7, verses 1 through 29. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to its offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that 
they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race, and forced our fathers to expose their infants, so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And this is the end of our portion from the book of Acts. We'll continue it tomorrow. What have we observed? Stephen is being tried before the Sanhedrin, falsely accused of speaking blasphemously against Moses and God, in Acts chapter 6, verse 11, and against the temple and against the law. Remember, these were the three accusations. Stephen reminds them of their true story. He reminds them that their heritage begins not with Moses, the law, and the temple, but with the glory of God, in chapter 7, verse 2. It is he who made a promise to Abraham to birth a nation, to give a land and provide salvation, in verses 3 through 7. The Abrahamic covenant of circumcision preceded the Mosaic covenant of the law and pointed to the fact that God would provide the means for dealing with sin and making them a people belonging to himself through Abraham's promised seed. Stephen reminds the Sanhedrin that throughout their history they have been anticipating the fulfillment of God's promise. Abraham was promised a land, and yet God gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, and even when he had no child. 
God fulfills his promise his way and in his time. Yet he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. God may not fulfill his promise the way we would like or according to our timetable, but he does fulfill his promise. The God of glory who spoke to Abraham also spoke to Moses at the burning bush. In each case, God was speaking about a future promise, the coming of the righteous one, in Acts chapter 7, verse 52. Far from blaspheming God, Stephen is rightfully glorifying God in his speech. He is extolling him as the God of glory, the keeper of his promises, the deliverer of his people, and the God who cannot live in buildings made by human hands. Far from blaspheming Moses, Stephen honors the law of Moses and the God of Moses. He reminds them that their ancestors at times disowned and dishonored Moses. Through jealousy in the heart of their ancestors, Joseph was rejected. Through pride and rebellion, Moses was rejected. And now they are rejecting the one Abraham and Moses anticipated. And as I have said, we will continue Stephen's speech tomorrow. Now let's go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5. And reading the next psalm in this series of the Songs of Degrees will be Peter Healy, reading Psalm 127. A Song of Ascents of Solomon Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Thank you, Peter. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. This psalm speaks of efforts that can be in vain, even noble efforts, such as building a house, providing shelter for others, protecting, guarding, rising early, and working hard for our food. God must be recognized as the source of our strength for labor, and our motive must be to give him glory we must recognize his grace. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Psalm 127 verse 2. No amount of human sacrifice or toil will amount to anything of eternal significance unless God is in it. And so, God is also to be recognized as the father of the family. Children are his gift to us. Our offspring are God's instruments in resisting and rebuking the enemy. They are strategic in fighting the battles in the years to come. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Psalm 127, verse 5. Now let's read from the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verses 28 through 30. And we will read of people of different character traits. Verse 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass.
These proverbs remind us of destructive character traits. They are characteristics of the old man in Adam and not the new man in Christ. Avoid troublemakers and don't be one. Gossip and slander can sabotage even the best of friendships. Those whose hearts are intent on doing harm often recruit unsuspecting accomplices through enticement. Be attentive not only to people's words, but their body language and facial expressions, so you are not easily duped. Be discerning. As we bring our Bible reading time to a close, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God of glory, God of all grace, thank you for enlightening our understanding by giving us ears to hear your word and hearts to obey it. A greater than Solomon lives in us by the Holy Spirit. Teach us to rely on you more, for unless you do the work, we labor in vain. You are building a house for your glory of the incorruptible material. You are doing a hidden and quiet work in us, fashioning us to fit perfectly together as a habitation for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the younger generation and make them useful in planting the seed of your word and fighting the battle for truth in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I trust you were edified in our time reading in the Old and New Testament about God's building work. It is wonderful to consider that we are being built into a temple fit for God's own dwelling place. And we who believe, who have come to the chief cornerstone, we're precious stones, living stones, whom Jesus owns. We look forward to hearing more of Stephen's testimony as he speaks of the God of glory who sent his Son into the world to be our Lord and Savior. So we look forward to being with you, God willing, tomorrow. And if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by writing an email to podcast at newlife.org. And you can also find information and subscribe to a written copy of our accompanying meditation by going to our website, newlife.org. So let's redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity, seize the day in Jesus' name. Shalom.